I am Katie Arnoldi, and I have written three novels, Chemical Pinks. No, I've written more than three novels, but I've published three novels, Chemical Pink, The Wentworth, and Point Doom. And I am a fan of Sean's, and um, we're here today to talk about our books. Well, Katie, it is a pleasure to visit with you. I am Sean McDaniel, and I just recently had Criminal Zoo published this last fall. Uh, I hail from, born in Durango, Colorado, lived in Hobbs, New Mexico as a child, and uh, now currently reside in Billings, Montana, and am looking to get down to Southern California sometime so you can teach me how to surf. <laughs> no problem. Okay, well, so can, let's just start right there. How Chem, uh, Criminal Zoo was an amazing book that I read months ago, and I can't stop thinking about it. So dark, so fascinating, so timely, even more so now that we have this new president. And I'd just love to hear you talk a little bit about how, how did it come about? Where did this idea come from? Okay, Katie, in 2005, this dates all the way back to 2005, <laughs> I read a newspaper article that I still have cut out in right in front of me. Headline prosecutors, colon, man killed two girls out of rage. So prosecutors are accusing a man. Okay, this man, his name is Jerry Hobbs. Now, Jerry Hobbs, the highlighted part, he is accused of stabbing to death his eight-year-old daughter and her nine-year-old best friend. The, the eight-year-old daughter was supposed to be grounded. She's supposed to be at home. Jerry Hobbs, who was just released from prison, decided to go look for her. Uh, he went looking for her with a steak knife. The two girls, the eight-year-old and the nine-year-old, were found dead, stabbed between them 30 times, and Jerry Hobbs' daughter had both her eyes stabbed out. So one Saturday morning, I was uh, with a client. I'm a personal trainer, mild-mannered personal trainer by day. And I definitely know <laughs> you know all about the gym world. And I've been in it my whole life, as have you. Mild-mannered personal trainer by day. You know, by night, I want to write stories that will make you lose sleep. But uh, so a client of mine, Dr. Cindy Kennedy, and I were talking about this guy. And I was looking at a picture of him. And I said, put me in a room with this man put me in a room with Jerry Hobbs and locked the door behind me. So I would say to Jerry, I'm not an eight-year-old girl. What can you do to me? Mm -hmm. And Cindy Kennedy said there needs to be a place where what these people do, we can do to them. And over conversation, and, you know, I'll give credit where credit is due, Cindy Kennedy said we could even call it criminal zoo. Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, what a concept. Well, after this conversation happened, this simmered in my soul for two years. This conversation happened 2005, May of 2005. In 2007, I wrote Criminal Zoo. So this book was written 10 years ago. Wow. And it was, you know, Katie, I have articles cut out. Okay, articles, you know, titled Ohio Mother Indicted in Microwave Death. A lady put her month-old baby in a microwave. Yeah. A man, man pleads not guilty in scolding. A, a man here in Montana, whitefish dropped his five-year-old son in a scalding hot bathtub. Mother accused of eating part of baby son. <laughs> you know, woman set a fire <laughs> in the elevator. Just okay, atrocities, so but 
Yeah. Yeah. Katie, what would you do with these people? But here's what's interesting about this, Sean. This is what's interesting about this book. So, yes, this guy, Samuel, your character, is an absolute monster. And yet you wrote him, which is a really tough thing to do when we get to know him and follow him through his childhood, which was just terrible. And every monster has a backstory. But you added a layer of sympathetic of sympathy to him. Like we could almost understand how he made that step. And what I found remarkable about the book is that part of it, but then the ending, which I'm not going to give away or anything, but the ending begs the question, who's, in, at least in my mind, who's the bigger monster here, Samuel or John? And in my mind, they're exactly the same. So That is, yeah, that is a question I want you, I want to raise with you, the reader. You know, with yeah. Samuel, okay, so Criminal Zoo is written through the eyes and the mind of a serial killer. However, Samuel doesn't realize he's evil. Samuel, to Samuel, he's just a God-fearing human being that has come up with a, a unique way of cleansing souls and sending people to heaven cleansed. So in his mind, he doesn't, you know, other people call him a monster or a serial killer. He doesn't understand it. So I definitely wanted to give the reader and insights into, you know, he's crazy. He's but, crazy. Is that, did you do some research on that? Is that a kind of, I mean, do, do, I know that people that do these kinds of things often have things in common. Is that one of them sort of like a justification, a system that works to make them be able to function in this, in this way? Okay, as far as research, yes, you know, I I love the ID channel, the documentaries on these heinous creatures, these monsters, reading magazines, newspaper articles, online articles. And I also had a uh, Dr. Eldon Olson, who is a forensic neuropsychologist and a former homicide investigator in Oakland. So Dr. Olson, he's a professor here at MSU Billings. He really helped me get into the psychopathic process of a serial killer. So I they say write what you know, but I don't know how to kill people, at least as far as you know. So I have to get information from the, the experts you know, so I, I did do research, and I'm definitely not afraid to ask questions from people that can help me. But, you know, myself, I'm the, I'm the guy that will hurt a fly to an open window. I will scoop up a spider on a piece of paper and carry him into the alley Yeah. on paper. And, you know, you and I, we had a, an email conversation, and I want your thoughts on this. Yeah. You, we talked about channeling and going into the mind. Uh, when I go into Samuel Bradbury, you know, he cuts off your ears to cleanse you of the, the wickedness you've heard. He cuts out your tongue to cleanse you of the wickedness you've spoke. He yeah. cuts out your eyes for what you've seen. You know, when I go in his mind, as you and I kind of emailed and we talked about it, you said it's, it's channeling. Yeah. My question to you, okay, when we do this, when we journey to where our monsters dwell, do we leave a piece of our sanity there and bring back with us in return a piece of the monster? 
What are your thoughts on that? When I when I dwell in Samuel's head, do I bring a part of him back? What happens when you write? I want to know how you write. Well, yeah, that's a good question. I um, so in, I think one of the greatest things about my job as a writer is that ability to inhabit a character's life completely and and be in that space and write from that point of view. The thing about me is my people never die, so they're rattling around up there like um, like Chemical Pink, and there was there's a, a character Charles the. Okay, you're Charles. Charles, he's a freak. I want to know how you wrote Charles. Well, and so, and I wrote from a man's point of view who's sort of a sexual predator with all these weird fetishes and all this stuff. It was the easiest thing in the world for me. And when I was in that mindset, when I was writing that book, and I was training a lot at the gym, and, you know, um, I would look at the world from his point of view, and and. Stepping back out of it, like you're right, that line, that reality line started getting real blurry for me. I wrote a book that I did not publish set in the, on the border of Mexico, and it has a lot to do. It's a woman coming across. It's the woman that was in Point Doom. I picked up where that left off, and she goes off and looks for her sweetheart who's disappeared. And it was about would rape on the border. This would be following Ellis? This would be following Ellis? Um, no, no, the, the Mexican, the Mexican who is working in the marijuana growth sites in the for the drug cartels, and he's killed at the end of Point Doom. Yeah, so she goes yeah, looking for much. him, and she. Well, I, okay. and, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. So, um, and she suffers just unbelievably horrible things on this journey, and. It got so bad and so dark, and I was reading all the cartel blogs, and I starting the morning with you know narco world and all these terrible blogs with the heads in piles and arms and limbs, and and my life got so dark and so bad that I had to walk away from that book because I couldn't function. Um, so absolutely, I have to be really careful about inhabiting my fictitious world and keeping a foot out in the real world and not crossing over, and I have to be careful what I look at too, which is what interests me because this book, Criminal Zoo, is, is one of the darkest books I've ever read, and maintaining that sanity and, and inhabiting that character and then coming back and saving a spider and taking it outside, I mean, I find that that can be challenging sometimes. How about you? You know, I didn't used to worry about it, although I will tell you I'm working on a 3,000-word piece right now for a, an online magazine. This piece is titled Confessions of a Cannibal. We're inside the, the mind of a man who's justifying why he eats people. It opens up, God makes monsters. He made me. I eat people, people like you. So I, And I just got into this mind of this cannibal and how he tells us, hey, don't, don't uh, think that you're anything more than a member of the animal kingdom. And animals have eaten animals through time, through the history of the animal kingdom. So, and I get into this mind of this man who's justifying why it is okay to eat people. And then, you know what, Katie, just yesterday I wrote for a couple of hours and I came out and I thought, oh my, and do I bring a part of this back with me? In the past, it hasn't bothered me, but I don't know, the darker my writing gets, it, it, maybe it does bother me a little bit. And I thought about your comment about channeling. I thought, do we bring part of this back with us? 
Well, right, because, I mean, it isn't coming out of nowhere. It's we are reaching down deep and pulling up. This is us. Every single character I write is I'm in each one of them. They don't even though I may look outside myself and find somebody and base a character on, for instance, Charles and Chemical Pink was kind of started by a real person who still trains at Gold, by the way. And um, so it started there, but eventually it morphed into this character that I put a lot of myself into. I am all these people. I mean, you know, I am. I inhabit them. I bring my heart and soul to them. So it's kind of like bringing out that dark side of us and it's the balance of keeping the light and the dark in balance. I, it's a challenge for me. I have a question for you. Strap on animal parts. Okay, Charles. I'm, I'm now in the process. I'm reading Chemical Paint for the second time. I read it 10 years ago. I'm in the middle of reading it again. It is one of the most intriguing, captivating, and just absolutely <laughs> thoroughly enjoyable, not to mention startling. <laughs> It is a starting book of strap-on animal parts, vegetable head dolls. Where do you pick vegetable head dolls? Explain. Okay, well, okay, but first of all, here's a point of pride. There, there's, like, he's got that chest with all those animal costumes and stuff. Yeah, When I yes. wrote that, I had never heard of, I swear to God, I'd never heard of fluffies and furries, you know, that, you know, they are, like, people that put on squirrel costumes and rub up against each other, and it's a sexual thing, and they have conventions. And stuff. It's a big deal. Now I'm, I'm hearing about that for the first time. Well, you need to go look that up right away. Um <laughs> But I had never heard of that when I wrote it. And so, and then I found out after I wrote the book about this whole, and it's like this huge subculture. If I can think of it, somebody's doing it somewhere, for sure. Um, and that kind of goes into this Jungian collective unconscious, really, doesn't it? And that's really interesting. But there's things in that book, and after that book came out, I got a lot of calls from people like, how did you know? How did I know what? Well, how did you know about, for instance, the vegetable dolls? And what are you talking about? I made that up. No, really, it's something that I love to do. I, I don't know. All I can say is I tapped into something. If I can think of it, somebody else is doing it. If you can think of it, somebody's thinking about it. That collective mind thing um, seems to be very real. But so what I, about this? Go ahead. No, You've been point two. A question for you in Point Doom. How do you, in Point Doom, you talk about the drug cartels growing in national lands in California. Yeah. Do you ever fear that you might draw the attention of drug cartels to you, writing a book okay. about them? Yeah, I spent a whole summer going out with law enforcement into active growth sites, and we flew in Black Hawk helicopters. It was very, very cool. And um, I didn't so much, but the law enforcement people I was out with were really worried about it. And um, they hid their identities, and they were really careful about that their names not be used. And I had to be, I had to swear that I wouldn't identify anybody because they were very worried about it. I don't think that's such a problem now. Um, with the legalization of pot and things have changed dramatically since that book was written. But back then, um, the growth sites in, in actually all over the country, but it started in California, were a big deal and um, a big money maker. And yeah, it was dangerous. It was really dangerous out there. We'd go into camps. I went in in the second wave. The first wave would go in and clear the camp, arrest anybody that was in there collect the weapons and cut the plants. And then I went in basically as a glorified garbage 
collector and broke down the camps and, you know, cleaned it up, basically. Um, and I saw a lot of stuff out there. But so, no, I personally, I, you know, I couldn't hurt them. But the law enforcement agents that I was working with were definitely worried about it. But then I started going to Mexico with this, this friend of mine who's a journalist to write the, the follow-up about human trafficking and what's going on on the border. And that is a much more dangerous thing. And that actually could have gotten, that could have gotten really bad because, um, because the human trafficking and the in and out and how they're bringing stuff across the border, which is what I was writing about, that could have been dangerous. Unfortunately, I couldn't finish that book, so <laughs> I'm safe. I guess fortunately. So will you will you ever finish that book? No, I'll never finish that book. I don't ever want to go into that mindset again. I can't live there. Uh, you know, um, uh, Don Winslow wrote a follow-up book. His what was it called? It's not called Narco, but it's a follow-up to the um, to his first book about the drug cartels. And both names are flying out of my head. Anyway, I went to a panel he did at the Festival of Books last year. And he talked about how he can't write about this anymore because it almost ruined his life. It, it, it put him into a mindset that he can't function. He looked at so much darkness and so much evil, and he cannot tolerate it. And I understand that completely. So I will never go back to that book ever again. It, it, it kind of ruined my life for a short time. Have you had that experience ever? Have you ever gotten in a place that was just too dark, that was just intolerable? Yes, yesterday, writing in the mind of this cannibal. <laughs> you know, my publisher, and right now I'd like to give uh, give a shout-out to Pat Walsh, Pat Walsh of Defenestration Press. You know, he told me, Pat told me, Sean, you should have never written this book. This is not a book someone like you would write. You know, and with Criminal Zoo, like you say, it is dark. And it's it was written in anger. But it's my anger at, so Todd Colehep, I believe the guy's name was, South Carolina, Todd Colehep, he chained a 32-year-old lady, Kayla Brown, in a cargo container. He killed her boyfriend, shot and killed her, her boyfriend right in front of her, killed seven people, kept her chained for months in a cargo container. My question, what I want to do with Criminal Zoo, I want to raise the question with you, what would you do to protect the people that you love? And if someone hurt that person you cherish more than life itself, if you had the opportunity to exact revenge, you know, I kind of wonder if it's not uh, food, water, shelter, sex, and revenge that drives no, no, humanity. I think I, might, I think I might come down on the other side of this issue from you because in, at, at the end of the book, I truly believe that... Um, John McIntyre is as big a monster as Samuel. He is no different. And so I write it as a comment on human nature, which is really dark and really ugly. And I believe that we can be better than that. And, yes, there are people that are very, very sick, and they do very bad things. And we need to do our best to protect ourselves against them. But if you go through history, which I have done especially when I was writing that book about Mexico, and look at the history of torture. These behaviors have been going on from the beginning of time, from the beginning of recorded history. We're actually much better now than we were in the time of, for instance, Vlad the Impaler. I mean, we have always been these sadistic, horrible beings, and also these beings of great light and beauty. So 
I don't know. I mean, at the end of the book, what I what I loved about it is that I finished it, and I'm like, you know what? They're the same. These two guys are the same. They're they're indulgent in what? That is intentional. I do want you to understand that are the people that visit Criminal Zoo any better than the people in Criminal Zoo? And I definitely want to raise that issue. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's really powerful. It's really, really good with that. Um, But I don't think everyone is that way. And I think that, you know, for me personally, I, I absolutely don't believe in the death penalty. I don't think taking a life is going to change the life that was taken. And I think that um, I am one of those big left-wingers. I, lo- I love this. It's on page 19. And I'm paraphrasing, but the nation got soft on crime. Left-wing appointees uh, became, became criminal-friendly. And I wrote this down. And then there was a mass right-wing backlash that hit like a tidal wave, which is exactly where we are right now. Um, but I'm one of those left-wingers. I mean, I, I choose to believe that we can be better than that. And, I, uh, yes, if one of my loved ones was brutally murdered, would that change? The, I hope not. I mean, I know I would be devastated, but I hope it wouldn't change my, my philosophy. But I don't know. I haven't been in those shoes. It sounds like you, it sounds like you have a pretty – it sounds like you have a, maybe a different point of view about that. You know, my intention when writing this book, first and foremost, you know, thank you for your kind words. They're greatly appreciated. As you know, there's a tremendous amount of rejection in this whole writing endeavor. And when you hear kind words, it goes a long way. So thank you for that. I wanted to write a book that would stay with you long after you put the book away. And whether you are adamantly for criminal zoo, vehemently against criminal zoo. I want you to respond with passion. I want to reach you deep in the soul, and I want you to think what would you do. I do not try to convince you one way or another. In the opening aspect of the book, we we have John McIntyre with the the talk show host, and we have the argument for and against. And I'm definitely not trying to sway the reader one way or another, but I do want to give you something to ponder, something to think about. Definitely an outside-the-box way of looking at uh, criminal justice. Yeah, no, I think that you did a brilliant job of that. That is the strength of this book, and it's because you do. You think about it. You can't help but think about it, and it's imprinted on my mind. It'll be there forever. It's, it's yeah, good job. Well, really good. Thank you. I, I definitely, I think the way you, you think as far as Next time you hear about a heinous act, a horrible, you know, as we describe them in the book, animals disguised as humans. So I ask you this. You talk about not being for the the death penalty. Okay, what if the death penalty isn't so much for punishment but for protection? In We argue in the book, the opening with the John McIntyre saying, when the body has cancer, we eliminate cancer from the body for the survival of the body. What if these animals are malignant cancer cells and they're, I don't believe there's rehabilitation for the pedophile. I don't believe if you kill a five-year-old child, I don't think we can fix you. Do we then 
eliminate you, the malignant cancer cell, for the very survival of society as a body. That's what I really want people to consider. Well, right, but uh, but then I, I would have to pose the question of who gives you the right to sit in judgment of what can be re- rehabilitated and what can't be? And it, when we have a policy like that, suddenly whoever's sitting on, in the in on the in the jury or whoever is making these decisions, it's very subjective. And how do you control that? Um, you know, I mean, I think we're living in a very terrifying time politically, and I think the world is a very scary place right now. And the idea that giving another human being the right to basically play God and decide that you are not, you cannot be rehabilitated, that's not completely true. Some people can't, some people can. It happens. Not all these monsters, like the one that you wrote, like Sam, Samuel, if he had been, if things had changed earlier, if things had gone differently, he might have come out differently. He might not have lost his mind. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if this is the right discussion to have in the context of our books, because this can go on all day. Um, you know, Katie, Katie but, right now... You back to Criminal been... Zoo, back to Criminal Zoo, you do, you brought, you stirred all this up, and it is something I've been thinking about. So that is a great work of fiction that will do that. You're making me smile right now, because this conversation that we're having, Criminal Zoo did its job. It's making us have this conversation. I want really? people to have this conversation. So the book itself, right now, because we're having this conversation, to me, I'm calling this book success. It's a successful book. I do want, and I do appreciate. I appreciate your time on it. I, I have to tell you, I seriously, I've been a fan of yours since 2007. I read Chemical Pink for the first time. And then, you know, reading your bio, you spent a lot of time in the hardcore gym. I, I have spent my whole life in the hardcore gym era. You talk about the cycles that Aurora is on, cycles that I've done. I know that you trained drug-free, and you know, that makes you quite intelligent, more so than the rest of us. I got caught up in that drug world. I spent years hardcore bodybuilding. And I got caught up in, you know, we would go into the locker room at Gold's Gym, and we'd call it a shoebox drugstore. I mean, our supplier would say, hey, step into my office. We'd go back in the locker room. We'd buy our Diana Ball, our Equipoise, Winstraw, Danazolone, you know, all the drugs you talk about uh, from the shoebox. So having this conversation with you, reading Chemical Pink for the second time and finding out you know, it's you I love. I love wherever your mind goes. That's awesome. Your book is fantastic. So point like bravo on that. Now, I will go out and pick up Wentworth immediately. Some, there's cannibalism in the Wentworth, so there you go. <laughs> there's chapter on cannibalism, and there's a character that contemplates it, and there's, you know, different cultures use cannibalism in different ways, and there's a whole thing about cannibalism. So that's funny that you just writing about it now, because I've also gone into that place. That place is dark. It's, it's dark. I, I worry about me writing that. But, uh, you know, with, again, I am, people people that have known me for 20 years say, they, they think they don't know me. They, you know, how could you come up with this concept? How could you come up with these ideas? I thought I knew you, and I tell them, no, you do know me. Where is it that you think we as 
writers, where do we go? Where did you get Charles? I get that all the time. They just, people, that's such an annoying question. Don't even answer them. It's a novel. I made it up. Okay. Just, it's. I don't know where I go. I don't know where, you know, they, okay, write what you know. Well, I don't know how to be a serial killer. I have no idea. So yep. wherever it is, and people will say, where do you get your ideas? And like you and I, when we were emailing, I just, I go away. I disappear. It's like I go to sleep, and then all of a sudden... You go into the character, and the character does this, but you bring yourself to it. I just, I don't, that that thing of, like, I have written the, the book, the middle book was about family, and so immediately everybody thinks you're writing about your family. My first book had tons of sex in it, so immediately everyone thinks I'm writing about my sex life. No, I'm not. I've never done those things, ever, I promise. But, you know, you inhabit a character. It's fiction. That's the answer. It's fiction. Exactly. I agree. Are you working on anything now? What's your next book? Yeah, I've, I've taken about, I wrote two books in a row, well, the Mexico one, and then there was one after it that I just, I, I just, I'm not happy with it. So I stepped away, and I'm starting something now, and all I can say is the process of aging is fascinating and in some ways hilarious to me. So I'm, it, I'm, I'm looking at that, and I'm, I'm kind of playing with that idea of, how we get older and perception and memory and how things change and um yeah and you know I still turn at gold I'm still turning at gold Jim Venice it's been over 30 years and most of the people I trained with 30 years ago are still there and that's an interesting dynamic to see how bodybuilders age and how you know bodybuilders are so caught up in their how they present themselves to the world and getting older in that context so I'm looking at stuff like that and and we'll see how about you aside from cannibalism what are you working on you know I just turned in my second manuscript now it may or it may not have something to do with what you brought up is John McIntyre every bit the monster that Samuel is you know, the Pat and Tyson Cornell, again, a shout out to Rare Bird Books, Tyson Cornell. He's treated me amazingly. These guys are really taking very good care of me. I'm very appreciative of both of them. But uh, we are, we have a second book that was turned in last week to Defenestration Press and to Rare Bird Books. And, you know, it's, it quite possibly could continue on with John McIntyre being every bit the animal. So that's the next project. Congratulations, Sean. That's a big deal. That's great. Well, thank you. I'm sure you're having fun with it. I'm definitely learning. This is an amazing learning experience for me. Now, me as a new author, you are established. You are an accomplished author, best-selling, you know, Los Angeles Times, best-selling Chemical Pink. What advice do you have for me as a new author trying to learn how this whole this works. Any advice for me? Yeah, I do. I would listen to everything Tyson tells you. I love Tyson, and he is a great guide, and the book world is changing so quickly. And um, so, and so that because it's it's very hard to navigate, and he's a wonderful guide. He'll do a great job for you. The other thing I would say is your job is to write these stories and the publicity and putting your book out there and all that stuff, that's not really, I mean, that's kind of the worst, in my opinion, the worst part of the job. So try not to take that too seriously. Do what you have to do, but you're a writer and that's your primary identity and that's your focus. 
and keep writing your stories. And don't let the success or lack thereof of a given book have any impact on your work as a writer. I think so many people watch the numbers and get discouraged or not or intimidated depending on what happens. And that has nothing to do with the life of a writer. The life of a writer is to sit down and write your stories. So keep them separate. That's my advice. And listen to Tyson. Two things. I like that. Thank you very much. Because it, it really can. It can suck you in and you can get wrapped up in, like you say, the success or lack of success. And it, you measure yourself as a writer if you're not careful. I find myself, I measure myself as a writer depending on how much success I have. And it, right. it's and tough to do that. Yeah, you have to kind of keep your head down, basically. Keep your head down and do your work. And Occasionally, you're going to have to step out into the public arena and do whatever you have to do to serve your book. You should do that, but that isn't your job. Your job is to sit down, keep your head down, and keep writing your stories. That's the advice I give. Okay, I'm going to let you go. I know that uh, you are busy, so one last thing I'm going to tell you. Here's the greatest thing about Criminal Zoo that Pat loves. The genesis of Criminal Zoo, this man I told you about in the beginning, Jerry Hobbs. He inspired the book. Well, here's... As Paul Harvey would say, and now you know the rest of the story, Jerry Hobbs was innocent. Jerry Hobbs, he spent time in prison, and then years later, they introduced new DNA evidence that exonerated him. Jerry Hobbs now walks around a free man, $7.5 million richer because he sued for wrongful imprisonment. So Pat loves the fact that this book that was written in such anger at this man was all based on an innocent man. Dad, you know what? I hope if you do a second printing of that, you could do an author afterward. Just a page, just a page on what inspired it and the full circle of that story would really add to to the to the book, I think. That would be really, really good. Just think about it, if you do a second. Absolutely. I'd, I'd take anything. Now, any advice you have, any afterthoughts in this conversation, please feel free to get a hold of me. I, I have very much enjoyed conversing with you, and I thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, that was fun, Sean. Good to talk to you. I look forward to meeting you in person. All right. You okay. take care, Katie.